today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Do you understand that the strength of that is in the knowledge of the sovereignty of God in our lives? That when we come to a really clear understanding of the greatness of the sovereignty of God in our lives, then we can go through things like that and understand, you know what, it's not for me to avenge myself. Neither is it for me to even defend myself. I'll let God be my defense. I'll let God be my avenger. And oh, by the way, here's another flash notice for you. God does a lot better job at avenging for you than you do for yourself. When Jesus stood trial, he suffered in silence. Christ did not threaten his accusers, nor did he defend himself against unjust treatment. Instead, Jesus put his trust in Almighty God to bring about his plan and purposes. In today's message, Pastor David encourages those of us who are falsely accused or suffering injustice to put the case before the Lord and wait on Him to avenge the matter. Unlike men who cannot act justly, the Lord executes perfect justice and always does so with a heart of reconciliation and love. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, all together now from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. You know that as brothers and sisters, there's conflicts and there's struggles. But you know what? At the end of the day, you better remember that you're family and that you draw together. You draw together. There needs to be that relationship among family that draws us back together as soon as possible. If we go through conflicts, okay, let's deal with the conflict and move forward. But let's not do it in a separating way. Let's do it in an honest way before each other, speaking the truth in love with care and concern, but then drawing back together as a family in support of each other. And again, I believe that this thought is a continuation of Peter's thoughts all the way back from chapter 1 when he declares that we, being led by the Holy Spirit, need to have that sincere love for the brethren. A sincere love, not a fake love. Not a, not a mouthed love, not a love that's from the distance, but it's a love that again gets involved in each other's lives. And I want to tell you this right now, when you get involved in lives, it's messy, okay? It's messy. You just got to understand that. And you got to move forward in that. If you think that you can really be a, a true believer and completely obedient to the word of God in your life and not get yourself messed up in some areas, not get involved in people's lives, not be stretched in, again, your comfort zones, not, again, so giving and, and, and submitting your time, your talents, your treasures. If you think that you can really walk in Christ and that not happen, somebody fed you a line long ago. That's untrue. Being a believer is messy. Being a obedient believer will cost you something. 
because we're part of a family together. With compassion and with love, Peter also adds this attribute he, he, he says we need to be tender-hearted. All of these things working together. This particular Greek word, it's, it's only used here and in Ephesians 4.32, and, and Paul uses it in the same idea, the same kind of a context of being tender-hearted. But it's interesting, the, the Greek word translated is, is actually like our, our spleen or our bowels or our intestines. In, in, in the Middle Eastern culture, that was the center of emotion, okay? You you would go to your wife and and say, I love you with all of my bowels. Sometimes that doesn't that that just doesn't quite fit in our culture, does it? As a matter of fact, if if you've got the King James version, you've probably seen that quite a bit. Uh, Paul, when he writes in the book of Philemon, he writes to Philemon about the uh, the slave that had run away by the name of Onesimus, and he was going to send Onesimus back to him. And Paul writes to Philemon, and in the King James version, he writes this in verse seven. He says, "For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother." Maybe he brought Pepto-Bismol to the meeting. I don't know. You know, little Malox or something. I'm not sure how that goes. A little bit later, when he speaks about sending Onesimus back, he writes, he says, uh, Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels. What Peter is speaking about when he says tender-hearted, it in essence just means having this same idea of compassion, but having sympathy and, and even pity, not a, not a pity that stands off away from somebody, but a pity that really cares and is concerned about people's lives. The unfortunate thing in, in my life as a Christian, not just as a pastor, but even as a Christian, I've seen some who profess themselves to be believers, and yet their heart is as hard as stone and as cold as ice. They're unwilling to forgive And they have very little, if any, compassion or tenderness or sympathy toward anyone. And beloved, that certainly doesn't demonstrate the heart of Jesus. And then we add to this, as Peter writes, that we need to be courteous. Here again, we see a trait that we don't see too often today. And again, the the Greek word has this idea and thought that goes with it. It says, friendly-minded and kind. Miriam Webster defines courteous as very polite in a way that shows respect, marked by respect for and consideration of others. And Peter is mainly speaking about how the church needs to deal with each other. We need to deal with each other with great courtesy. But I feel that this same kind of concept, the same attribute needs to be how we as believers deal with the world that's around us. We don't need to do these things just within the household of faith. We need to demonstrate the very heart of Christ even in the world that's outside. Parents, are you teaching your children to be courteous to those that are around them? Let me ask you this. Maybe this is even a harder question. Are you teaching by example? Are you teaching by the example of your life how to be courteous, how to have respect for those that are around them? The world moves at such a crazy, fast pace. And I feel a lot of people just don't think that they have time to be courteous anymore. And and to help you see what I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples. 
Have you ever tried to change lanes during rush hour traffic up in the Phoenix or Tucson area? There's not a whole lot of courtesy there, is there? You can have your blinker on for five miles until you realize, I need to drive like they do in California. You move over, then you turn your blinker on, okay? Have you ever heard just the sighs and the moans and the groans of people while they stood in line, whether that's standing in line at the grocery store because you've got a slow cashier or you've got somebody that's in front of you that doesn't know how to count their change and there's this line going and everybody's moaning and groaning and maybe you haven't heard those moans and groans because your moans and groans are so much louder. Or waiting at the motor vehicle department to get a license renewed. Okay, that's one of my favorites. Okay, don't follow me in there, okay? I gotta repent every time I come out of that place. Peter continues, he, he, he draws all of these attributes together. And he maintains again that we as the body of Christ are, as he says in verse 9, he says that we should not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. Beloved, this is living like the king. That means that we are beginning to live now as Jesus lived, as his example declares to us. Isaiah says that the response of the Messiah would be, and he prophesied this as he wrote in Isaiah 53, verse 7. He says about the Messiah, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is the very thing that Peter in his writings earlier on in 1 Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.23. He says, again, speaking of Jesus, he said, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Do you understand that the strength of that is in the knowledge of the sovereignty of God in our lives? That when we come to a really clear understanding of the greatness of the sovereignty of God in our lives, then we can go through things like that and understand, you know what, it's not for me to avenge myself. Neither is it for me to even defend myself. I'll let God be my defense. I'll let God be my avenger. And oh, by the way, here's another flash notice for you. God does a lot better job at avenging for you than you do for yourself. And you know why he does? Because he avenges with the idea and the thought of reconciliation. You see, even God, when he avenges, he does it with the idea of reconciliation. I don't know about you, but that's not usually the way that I work. If I'm going to bring, avenge myself, it's, it's not to make matters better might be to try and make me feel better, but that's not God's idea. That's not God's direction. When we live our lives like this, when we really have that heart and mind of Christ in all of these things, then we are now bringing honor to our king. We're now affirming the greatness of his kingdom. And by our very lives, we declare the sovereignty of almighty God in all of this. All of this in the midst of a world that we're just currently sojourning through. We're just, we're just pilgrims here. This isn't home. And yet we live and we think and we process so much like this is home. 
That's why the body of Christ needs to be lifted up and to become heavenly minded. Because this world is not our home. We're just a traveling through. It's what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, for us to live like that, to live with that mindset, it's going to kill you. It will kill you. But then you need to be dead, don't you? We need to die to self in order that Christ might live through us. I believe that's exactly what the Apostle Paul declared in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But yet it's not me that lives, but it's Christ who lives through me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul understood that he's a dead man walking other than the fact that Christ is living through him. And if I understand that I'm dead in that, then those revilings, those attacks against me, you know what? I can continue to lay those before the Lord. I don't need to seek revenge. And particularly within the body of Christ. You see, that's, that's where Peter's trying to drive it home is within the body of Christ. We need to be this way. Beloved, why in the world are there church splits? How much glory does that bring to Christ? Well, the world looks at that and says, oh, it's another church split. They see that and they see, again, not the mind, not the heart of Christ. But they see the mind and the heart of the flesh that's just being poured out. You know, the fact is, is I don't really care that much about the color of the carpet or what color they paint the walls or these kinds of things. You know, all this is just temporary. This is just but for a moment, it's for a breath. And we're going to do damage to the message of Christ because we're going to cause a split within the body of Christ because the church is doing this or this. Now, listen, I, I absolutely, I absolutely uh, approve of the fact that if you are in a church where, where the doctrine is wrong, where they're not preach, preaching the, the truth of God's word and they're, uh, again, bringing damage to the, man, get out of there. Get out of there fast. I was speaking to, uh, I said last night, uh, a young gal, but I remembered it was a young guy this week on the phone, a guy that we've known since he was just a little bitty guy. He now lives in another state. And he was asking my opinion for a situation where he was in, in a church that he felt that, man, they're, they're just not preaching the word anymore. And he said, should I, should I tell people? Should I warn people about that? And I said, no, you need to leave and you need to pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to those people too. Because otherwise, you become the divisive thing, not the false doctrine, not the false teaching. That doesn't become the divisive thing. You become the divisive thing. So again, beloved, let God be our avenger. Let God be our defender. If you're here today, hopefully you're not in that situation, okay? But if you find yourself, if you find yourself in that situation, don't stay. Just don't stay. Just remove yourself. Peter brings us back. He kind of pulls all of this together in Psalm 30. And by quoting from, from Psalm 34, Peter 
says, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We look at this and we read it and says, man, that seems so practical. That seems so pragmatic. If I just do the right things, if I just keep my tongue from evil, if I wouldn't lie, if I would turn from evil, if I would do good, if I would just seek peace, if I would pursue it, then everything would be fine. But the problem is, is we can't do that on our own. You see, we Peter understands where this psalm came from, but unless you and I go back and we look at it, we don't think about where this psalm came from. This psalm is Psalm 34, and Peter writes that psalm, and after he has left Gath, where the land of the Philistines. It was a time in David's life as he writes that psalm where, again, he had sought comfort and peace in the camp of the enemy. Because of fear in his life, he went back. In essence, can we bring this to the point? Because of fear in his life, he went back into the world. He went into the camp of the Philistines, and he thought that he would find safety and comfort as he was running from Saul in the camp of the enemy. And then suddenly the enemy recognizes who David is, and we can read all of that back in First Samuel, but we're not going there this morning. The enemy recognized who David was. The enemy says, hey, isn't this David? Isn't this the one that they sang that Saul had killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands? You see, the enemy knew that David wasn't where he was supposed to be. And when you and I, we seek refuge in the things of the world and we kind of pull away from the things of Christ in our life and the things of truth that we know and we try to find peace, we find comfort, we try to hide in the world. It's amazing how the world sees us and knows us. Wait a minute, aren't aren't you a Christian? What are you doing here? You see, the world recognizes that many times when we don't ourselves. And as David pulled away from from Gath and away from Achish, the leader there. He wrote Psalm 34, and I need to read to you the very opening passages of Psalm 34. In fact, we'll probably read the whole thing if you listen fast, okay? You're going to have to listen fast. Psalm 34, David writes, and understand, he's been hiding out in the world. He suddenly comes to the reality, man, I'm in the world. I need to get back to the point where I'm trusting God in everything. And so he pulls away from 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 the area of, of Gath, and now, again, he writes these words. He's actually hiding out in a cave, and God's bringing men to him, and that's a great story in and of itself. But David writes this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from what? From all of my fears. You see, David in his fear had gone into the camp of the enemy. But now he says, no, it's God that's going to deliver me from those things. He says, they looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers him. And as I shared with the fellowship last night, if you write in your Bible, and I encourage you to write in your Bible, draw a circle around that verse, verse 7 of Psalm 34, that the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. Now, if you've got a really expensive 
Bible you don't want to write in that Bible, then leave that Bible at home. Get a Bible that you can write in when you come to church, okay? And if you still don't want to write in your Bible, then lean over and write in the person next to you's Bible, okay? Just so you can remember this. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him. That's the protective hand of God in our lives. And he delivers them. Oh, but it doesn't stop there, so keep your magic marker out or your pencil going. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and they suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. He says, come you children, listen to me, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days? Now, this is the part that Peter is quoting. He says, who, and loves many days that he may see good. He says, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Dispart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite. This is what the word of God says, the kind of sacrifice that God will receive, a sacrifice of a broken and a contrite heart. He goes on to say, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all of his bones. None of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who ate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his saints and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. It's out of that mindset, out of that context, that Peter writes these other things. He's not just saying, hey, here's a nice little deal. Just check these off in your day. If you do this, then everything's going to be fine. Peter writes about a heart that is pressed into the things of the Lord, a heart that is seeking the Lord, who makes his boast in the Lord, who continually praises the Lord with his mouth. He magnifies the Lord. And he says, in the midst of that, then the Holy Spirit is going to allow you to make those kinds of choices in your life, where again, you're going to be able to keep your tongue from evil. You won't be lying. You're going to be able to turn from evil. You'll be able to do good by the equipping power of the Holy Spirit within your life. You'll be able to seek peace. You'll be able to pursue it. That's why Peter writes these things and he declares these things. He says, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be troubled. This is a standing for those that are living their lives in accordance to God's word with their hearts fully focused on the Lord. We look and understand that our hearts, as we surrender our lives, as we humble our lives before the Lord, God is able to work and move in our lives to draw us to that unity of the Spirit, that oneness in the Spirit of God, that the family of God might encourage each other, might strengthen each other, might walk alongside each other, might lift each other up when we fall, when we fail, that we'd be there for each other. Because, gang, we need to be that light in the darkness that's all around us. We need to be that impact in a lost and dying world. And the only way that we're going to really and truly be the strength 
of the impact that God has intended for us to be is when we walk in oneness of mind and heart. And that's a mind that's focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Though we've come to the end of our time with you today on The Open Word, you don't have to wait to hear more from Pastor David Landry. In fact, Pastor David's here to tell you more. Thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take The Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast as well. As soon as we post a new message from The Open Word, you'll receive a notification. This way, you'll never miss an update. While you're on our website, you can learn more about what we believe as a ministry, as well as find out ways to support us. One way is through prayer, something we're always grateful for. We need to make sure we're focusing first on Jesus, then on what we're creating. We want every edition of The Open Word to come from the Savior, not from us. Your prayers for us help us do this. Would you also pray for the listeners of The Open Word? Pray that hearts and ears would be open to Jesus and that the gospel will continue to spread throughout the earth. Thanks for praying and thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word.